0: Hello, everyone, and uh, welcome. So, yeah, welcome. welcome to our podcast. In this, we're going to be talking about science, technology, and politics—all your uh, favorite favorite subjects from high school.
1: Right, right. I mean, we—the ones that nobody wanted to do—you know, social studies. I'm sorry, Ethan. Hey, that's 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 borderline <laughs> offensive. Social studies, math, science, biology. Everybody loved chemistry, right? Is there well? I mean, I think, I think the social sciences
0: were liked more than the, than the hard sciences by most people. They were easier. Oh, and you that's said not that a knock me. against the social sciences, to clarify.
1: Okay, okay. I mean,
0: because history is cool. You get to study like battles and wars and right, politics. Right. You know, you get to talk about politics. Everyone, everyone says they hate talking about politics, but everyone secretly loves to talk
1: about politics. Well, I mean, yeah, you see social media, right? Exactly. It's, and I get to do that for a living. <laughs> um <laughs>
0: well not exactly so in, in this podcast we are going to be talking about science and technology and we're going to be talking about politics but we're going to talk about how they are interrelated and interconnected the gaps uh between them gaps is the wrong word
1: but you're, you're the, the interlacing interpolation Yes,
0: interlacing oh listen we aren't we don't have an english major between us no but we're no, pretty no. we're pretty dang close right um
1: Speaking about our backgrounds, maybe we should go into that.
0: Yeah, that's a great idea. So uh, my name is Ethan Morales. Uh, my background is political science. So I, I form the politics half of the science and politics duo here. So my background is political science. But in particular, I don't, I don't really study the horse race party politics stuff that you see in the news. Like I'm not a big follower of polling and stuff like that. I'm mean, I, I not follow a polls it. guy. I'm not a polls guy. That's, that's, that's a, that's a, that's a terrible misconception about our field is that we're all about polling. That's a, a, that is part of it. It's a subset. But what I tend to focus on is um, emerging technology policy. So I study tech. uh, I study scientific advances and how it interacts with policy, which is interesting both because it's kind of a blank field. And a lot of the political science work is legitimately unknown in a way that other areas of political science are not. So you're kind of retreading a lot of already done ground. But if you, if you, look, at, if you look at politics as you have this, this competition for power in whatever form it takes, you're, you're, you're competing for the ability to make others do things against their will, competing for resources. That's, that was very
1: Foucault. Of
0: you. Oh, yeah i i there's 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 different <laughs> different people have different opinions about what politics is but i am just kind of viewing it from the perspective of a competition for power and power being the ability to in some way enact your will on others determine resource allocation determine mm-hmm. something like that even if it's a positive sum it, it there's that dynamic is still in play in each type of like political competition whether it's office politics or government and national politics but for that type of competition to occur you need some fundamental like bedrock, like like ground principles. They, these don't have to be like hard and stone, but you have to have a generally applicable series of human behaviors. You have to have certain constraints that are in place. And once you understand what all those are, you can kind of explore how the political system functions. When so you're saying like are,
1: structures are and there. frameworks.
0: Yeah, yeah. So like like part of political science is exactly that. It's figuring out what are these, what, what is the framework in place here? And, and the reason I'm going on this weird little side tangent is that normally, if you understand how these frameworks are in place, you can then begin to study the system and see, oh, it turns out if you change this incentive structure, you get this result, or it turns out certain voters are activated by this type of thing within this system. But what makes technology interesting is the way I view emerging technology and and I use the term emerging technology but the way I define that is I look for technologies that change the framework and that's where they're really interesting cuz if I invented a new potato peeler now that that might be <laughs> cool I wouldn't classify it as an emerging you'd be a billionaire I'd be I would be but it wouldn't be there's something linking together biotech AI space exploration all these 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 technologies we call emerging technologies VR that is not that is not synonymous with new because we can use new for Mm -hmm. tons of other technologies and from a political science background what what really links them for me is that these technologies all possess the capability to in some way fundamentally alter some of those core framework constraints that we assume so when we talk about let's Mm -hmm. taking biotech for example when we talk about some of these constraints, it might be the human lifespan. We have a, a certain age range in which humans exist. We have certain right. physical capabilities. We have mental capabilities. We have evolutionary psychology, all of these like things that influence how politics works.
1: So you, for example, would be maybe looking at like the pol- political implications of like CRISPR.
0: Yes, exactly. I have a okay. book on CRISPR right next to, my, right, right awesome. next to me while I'm recording. Um, but if you take something like CRISPR, now,
1: CRISPR's work
0: is a, a lot more, l- l- not, not really <laughs> radical at this particular moment, but, if we, if we, but yeah, exactly. We look ahead at the, head of the could be, and we, and we think about the questions like, what happens when human lifespans are no longer limited to the same range that they once were? What happens when human mental capabilities are dramatically enhanced beyond what they, what they once were? What happens if that enhancement only happens to certain segments of the population and not to everyone? Oh, so you're like so, an
1: equity issue
0: then. Yeah, that's, then you're in you're an equity issue. Okay. So that's what makes emerging technologies interesting to me is that if you change those constraints, you're changing politics because politics just won't be the same with those changes in place. If there was a subsegment of the population that was physically enhanced in every way and was functionally immortal – I mean that's pretty rad. we just got into somewhere really, really right, yeah. far like, okay. really quick. But you can see how that changes how politics right. happens. I mean so there's that's been what some makes movies on that for sure. Indeed, there has. <laughs> yeah. And while I'm 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 not happy with all of them, I'm I'm glad that they raised the conversation <laughs> at least.
1: <laughs> and, and it's and, a conversation, right?
0: Exactly. I'm not I'm not I'm not as futurist as or as radical as, as as some of the movies, but and I went pretty far with the whole different classes of person. But it's 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 it's, it's right. more that the internet is a great example of an emerging technology that emerged and changed politics. Like the way politics is done is so dramatically different in the age of the internet than it is in any other previous time. And we've had to do a lot of work from scratch figuring out, okay, now that you have echo chambers, now that you have right. online radicalization, false information. false information, now that you have video editing technology that can, create fakes right like that's uh, deep fakes yeah that's a separate technology all these things shift the bedrocks of politics in in a way that means that they won't operate in the way that the scholars that have been written writing for years say that politics will operate and that's why it's important and interesting to me so that was a long tangent i just got in there No, that's awesome but that's my kind of approach to why i care about emerging tech and
1: and policy implications no that's i mean so uh, I'm Alex. Hey, Alex, Alex. Christofferson. I'll see. I'll. I'll see my last name too. All right, we're we're radicals on the internet. Yeah. yeah. Um. So different from Ethan. I'm interested in, in like emerging technologies and stuff. I'm a, a electrical engineering computer science major. Um. And I deal with technology in, in all of my classes. So while I'm not looking at the the social implications of all of these new um, technologies, I'm part of and I'd like to think I'm part of the forefront of some of the people who will be implementing these things. As living in, in Silicon Valley, me and Ethan can both attest to, like, there's definitely a, a view of people hoping that this technology will be perfect. And for sure. And, you know, it will be the, the um, Messiah for, for our, our problems. But I think, as Ethan talked about, I mean, a lot of these things are inherently flawed. And you don't know what the problems are going to be until well either until they happen or you have uh, smart minds like Ethan (laughs) tell us what you you
0: need both you got to technology has brought incredible increases in prosperity incredible achievements for the Mm -hmm. human race like it's unparalleled and and when, when we think of our like conceptual structures the 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 advancement of science, engineering, all these things have been incredible for humanity on the whole. Maybe not, not as much for every other species, but incredible for humanity as on the whole. Yeah, yeah. But at, at the same time, when t- you need people that can get us to that point. And then you have to make sure that once we get there, that that technology is used in a way that increases humanity's overall welfare. And I do think the problem that, and I see that exact same mindset. I think I see people that think, oh, if we only get this one tech then things will be perfect, but it's like uh, that's like assuming that humans won't be there when we get there, because humans make things not. Nice. That is a
1: great. <laughs> yeah. Tech is perfect until humans get to it.
0: Exactly. Like so. That, so yeah, my my, I, like my that. I I have to deal with the, the human side. You deal with the tech
1: side and together right. we get there. Right. Yeah. That's perfect. A, a little bit more of my background. Um, what I'm specifically interested in. I'm really interested in space technology. Um, extremely interested in uh, like autonomy and uh, artificial intelligence and uh, recently like computer vision and basically a way of how computers interface with the world around them. Um, so, for example, I've worked on projects where we are only given a camera and we have to use that camera to determine our position in the world and future actions of what we should do from then. A little bit into robotics, a little bit into uh like I said before, like like automatic driving, all all those interesting things.
0: And you're in you're in you're in a space tech organization at Cal, yes, right? Yes,
1: I am. Oh actually, did we say where we were from? I don't think we did.
0: Uh we're both we're both Berkeley, we're both Berkeley guys. Go bears Berkeley students, yeah, go bears.
1: Um a little bit of how we met. Um oh, turns great. out that Ethan and I are when we, when we we were on the same floor at UC Berkeley Mm -hmm. in the dorms dorms. for freshmen dorms. Right. And it turns out that we live less than an hour away from each other.
0: Yeah. It like outside of Berkeley.
1: Right. Um, and so we started bonding over that and it, it turns out that we have a lot of interesting conversations and that's why we're making this podcast.
0: Yeah. I think like the, the Genesis was that occasionally Alex and I would go out and get lunch or dinner or whatever, uh, depending on our schedules. And we just have these really interesting conversations coming from our different backgrounds about all these exact topics that we're hoping to talk about here. And we thought, you know what, we're, we're both on the forefront, you know, might as well share. Might as well. hell, oh.
1: bring it an audience. Sure. Yeah. And, and honestly, I mean, with stuff being online now, even if nobody watches, which I, I do hope you watch or listen, I guess, I listen, hope you listen, I hope you listen. You know, it is, a good, it is a good way to to have if, if, if no one human contact. Us. Ever be here?
0: No, wait, no, that was a bad way to phrase it. I mean, like, if there is no one oh, if anyone
1: hears a... us. Oh, that makes it seem a little creepy. A little spy oh,
0: I'm sorry for interrupting
1: with this whole side thing. If a tree yeah. falls on
0: a forest, basically, is what I was trying to say. Oh, I see, I see. Continue.
1: Um, but yeah, uh, I think that's basically it. Do you have any questions for me, Ethan? on a little bit more about my background. No, I
0: don't th- want to get, I don't, I, get, I don't, don't, don't want to get too get like, technical. Um, what, what, what draw, what drives you, what brings you, what, why, why computer science and electrical engineering?
1: Yeah. I mean, okay. I've, I've always said this. The cool thing about Eeks is that you can build something with a really fast turnaround. I really like the iteration. What do you, what do you, what do you mean by that? Just, just the, say, for example, you're a civil engineer hmm okay you spend years of years. your life on making like a, a and this is awesome super cool you can make a, a really cool bridge or you, you have some kind of project but as a computer science um, student I can create a tool that, that I can use right now
0: oh I get what you
1: mean now. it's immediate yeah and I mean the turnarounds for for computer science is usually very very fast
0: basically you're impatient is what you're telling me
1: I'm a visionary.
0: <laughs> <laughs> Quote Alex. <laughs>
1: I'm a visionary. But, um, well, well, your
0: job involves being a visionary. That's, that's part of when you look ahead at emerging tech
1: and you're trying to figure out what could be. What could that's be. That's visionary by definition. Yeah. Um, I don't I know. It a know, good thing always. I've, but. I've recently, so I've actually recently kind of changed my, my focus on what I'm interested in, in, in technology. Because hmm. I, I recently took a theory class oh which is you know it's basically you know they say it's in the CS department but it's a math class and i thought i thought that was extremely interesting so not even like applications or or implementation or anything like that but just thinking about like the the possibilities of of things that could happen
0: uh, you know what i can agree 100% with that type of perspective right <laughs> Though i am I, I i do political science very empirically i'm a very much a data data or bus type of guy
1: are there are there non data driven political science majors yeah,
0: well like like a Marxist. this is actually like... kind of a, a split within well well even mark even critical fields um can have data behind them this is a bit of a split where you used to have political philosophy slash political theory right. as its own distinct field but over time people stopped hiring people with political thought phlo- that's just i mean that's that's really harsh but that's the truth is that the, the job market for political theory and political philosophy began to fall behind because it became because the renaissance less, ended well yeah it will it, it used to be that that's the well, that's what you'd get to go into a government job or a, or into oh. law but that became less important as data driven political science became right. more important and you kind of absorb them now so political theory is a subfield of political science in most universities hmm. and the thing is political theory doesn't there, there's there's two there's there's two ways to approach political theory because I think political theory can be really useful. One is normative one is descriptive so the normative ones are the the political theory that says this is how the world should be and this is all my arguments for blah 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 right this is yeah so that's that's like what you might think of like typically that's like that's like political rhetoric that's like arguing for a perspective but Got with it. like a level of philosophy that is useful because we have to have an ideal of society to move to. We have to to understand these ethical questions. So it's like, it serves an important purpose, but it's not the kind of political science that I do day to day. I mean, that's probably more of what we're going to be doing in this podcast than anything else, but it's not, it's, it's not what I tend to do. Descriptive political theory on the other hand is, is essentially trying to explain in a non data driven way, certain meta structures.
1: I feel like that should be also data driven.
0: Well, it will take, for example, the idea of separation of powers. So that's a concept in constitutional theory, but it's not something right. that's really data-driven or empirical. You could, you could, you could do an empirical measurement of it, where you say, "Oh, we look at all the times that Congress oh. overrides a veto from the president." But that's not necessarily. That's like you're that's operationalizing kind of really, something
1: large. That's a really rough statistic.
0: Yeah, I know. That's I'm just a, trying
1: to like. You uh, know, yeah. No, okay, I get. I see. Like
0: separation mean. of powers is is a descriptive reality where you can talk about nations that have an increased separation of powers between branches, measured by however have greater, have more stable democracies. Got it. But the concept itself is 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 theoretical. It's not like you can point to the separation of powers and be like, look, it's right there, sitting over there. It's a meta structure. It's it's a it's an idea that we've kind of accepted exists. Got it
1: huh yeah learn something already i
0: know it's kind of cool and we haven't even gotten into the topic do you want you want to get the the major spoiler for all of human history like this is the big one it's that it's that actually descriptive theory metastructures is basically absolutely everything in human history that's like that's that's actually a kind of radical statement to make but if you think about things like money if you think about things like nations governments In reality, like on the ground, it is just a bunch of individual humans within a bunch of individual buildings. You're saying it, idea, it's all,
1: it's all a, a fake reality. Like we make it for well, ourselves. Fake is,
0: I think fake is the wrong word. The idea, it, it's real. It has real impacts on human mm-hmm. lives and human, human ethics, human outcomes. But it is constructed.
1: It's a mental construction. It's a social construction. Right. That's
0: probably the better way to phrase it. I like that. Okay.
1: Um, it, it reminds me of something you said. I remember we were talking at once that like, if everybody say there's no recession, if everybody thinks immediately that there's a recession, then there's a recession. Yeah. that uh, Recession is a great example of it where
0: a recession is based on the, is, ba- is basically fear driven because stocks, right. the, the current stock price is not, is not really what it's trading for at any particular moment. It's mm-hmm. a valuation of the anticipated direction of the stock. Right. So if the stock's, crash that could be because individual companies are crashing but it's also because the buyers believe that the the market's going to get worse now the market's Mm -hmm. not a real thing well it's 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 real in the in the sense that it can be affected it can be acted upon it it can have institutions and incentives that constrain it and shape it and it affects real people's lives but it's not something you can point to it's a construction that we have out of everyone that kind of agrees and is interacting in a certain way. How does, it, how does that change how you think of it though? I, I don't think it really should change much because it's, again, it's still real and it has tangible mm. rules and laws that apply to it. But those rules and laws don't happen because the base reality follows a code, like in a, like an app, where if you input something, then this happens. It happens because of human action, like mm. supply and demand curves. Like if you screw with supply, it affects demand. And that's, as, that's, in most cases, as law-driven as you can get in the social right, sciences. Right. And it's close to the laws of physics. Like, you get it almost every single time. But again, it's not like it's a real... It's hard. It's, it's there. It's happening. But it's not happening, if that makes sense. No, I get it. I get it. Um, it's humans interacting with each other. And you, if you change the incentive structures around humans, then the outcomes change and their actions change. And That's what politics is, basically. It's shifting incentive structures.
1: So you know, from this conversation, it sounds like I never have to to take a poli sci class. Well, hopefully, the the ideal is I've learned I've learned all of this from you, Ethan. We don't
0: we don't actually. I hope by the end of it, you don't actually have to to go to school at all. Basically, I think this podcast you, is going to hold the sum total knowledge of human history.
1: Basically. I can teach you the the all of human knowledge of science yeah like i don't know what gravity
0: is i hear people like talking about it
1: but it's it's been weighing on people let's just say
0: (laughs) okay (laughs) all right that was that was really good that was really good i I can't top that so we gotta i i think we should probably unless we have any other introductions Um, this has been a long introduction
1: yeah it's been good it's been good
0: um you 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 probably transition to to go into the topic the topic at hand so the topic that we were going to talk about today um, is space. Now, space is a it's, it's particular a interest of mine. Yeah. It's a big topic. There's lots of well, there's lots of lots of lots of lots of it out there. Right,
1: and and I've always said, game theory wise, it's up in the air. <laughs> what will happen?
0: Yeah, it's all up in the air. It's all up in the air. <laughs> it's all up in the air, game theory wise. Game theory wise, up, right? It's all up in the air. Um. I'm going to use that. I swear. I'm going to use that line. It's a a great line. If I'm at a dinner party and I can't think of something to say, you know, game theory wise, it's all up in the air.
1: (laughs) Here's here's the beauty of it is that it sounds, and maybe I'm wrong on this, but it sounds like, you know what you're talking about, but it also says absolutely nothing.
0: It says absolutely nothing. It's like, it's, it's clearly dipping out of the conversation. (laughs) So you're turning, they're turning to you and being like, what are your thoughts on, what are your thoughts on the political situation of, you know, South Africa?
1: Well, oh, game theory-wise. If you look at it through a game theory lens, <laughs> who, who knows? knows? <laughs> who knows? <laughs>
0: who knows? <laughs> and this is not a diss against game theory. You guys are awesome. Right. I love game yeah. theory. Right.
1: You took a class on game theory, right?
0: Yeah, I took a... It was a weird, weird organization I did. I did a upper-div game theory course before I took the lower-div one. Um, are you planning on taking the lower-div one? I already took it. I took it this semester. Um, huh. Because the lower div is a general introduction to quantitative methods and empirical analysis. Got it. But I'd already done that before through like the upper div.
1: So, so you, you just took the easy A or
0: No. So we're right we're we are um we're podcasting from a time of corona. Right. So I actually did all my classes pass and pass. Oh really? Yeah. I was told by the policy side department that you should I don't actually don't know if it was a policy department. I was told by someone. That you should do either all or nothing.
1: Right. That's what I heard. Well, so I feel I like if you don't, you then you're gaming the system.
0: Yeah, and I can't risk my GPA. It's very important for me. <laughs> oh right. Because of my career my career. They care they weight GPA really highly.
1: Interesting. Um grad school, law school, all that kind of stuff, GPA is king. Right. It- I mean, yeah, it doesn't, it doesn't affect me much. Although I, I have thought maybe I'm going to go to grad school now. Well, you should get it. You know what you should do?
0: You should get a grad degree in politics and I should get a grad degree in electrical engineering. Wouldn't that engineering. be funny? Wouldn't that be great? We, we transition. We pass each other in the hallway. You're carrying political <laughs> books and um, a, a Supreme Court, what do you call it, mallet, the uh,
1: mallet, gavel. Yeah. I've always wanted those.
0: Gavel. And I'm carrying a, a, a
1: star. A star. Yeah. Beetlejuice, juice just in your pocket, you know. <laughs> I don't trust them. On, a, on a leash. Okay. Um, yeah, oh, speaking of stars, right? So the, the topic we're going to do there we go. You brought is us space, high. right? Is space. But it's um, more specific, specific than just space. We can specific. talk about space for a long time. Right, right. The, the big thing right now, um, so at the time of recording, what day is it? It is Wednesday the 20th? Yes. I believe in s- seven or eight days um something big is going to happen in the space uh, world um Indeed and that is. is yeah and that is i mean for good if it's good or if, it, if it's bad we don't know but um crew dragon the astronaut taxi for spacex is going to be launching and that's extremely significant because um i don't know if you knew this ethan but the space shuttle after the space shuttle retired in 2011 the only way that uh, crew members have been able to get to the International Space Station the (ISS) has been through a Russian rocket, or sorry, oh, Soyuz. a Russian Soyuz.
0: Yeah, so this is this is a really interesting subtopic of space. So what I what I what I'm currently working on this particular second, in fact, is uh, well, not this particular second. So you're,
1: <laughs> you're working on something. I'm working. Well. <laughs> I'm working on a paper in the
0: middle of this podcast. So I'm working on a paper and. Just, in general, I'm thinking about you know just thoughts in my head. Sure, sure. Uh, I'm working on the evolution of the international governance regime for space. So regime is a fancy word, but it doesn't mean like dictator. I know it, it tends to be used in that it, way. Does it just
1: mean nation, or
0: it doesn't even mean no? It doesn't even mean nation. A regime in in political science, at least in an international term, is a set of rule structures. So you can have a democratic regime and an authoritarian regime in which you have leaders that swap in and out. So long as the rule structure remains the same. So if we're talking about the international regime on export and import controls, you're talking about the international set of rules and institutions around it, around the particular topic. So the international regime for intercontinental ballistic missiles would be all the rule structures. It probably include bodies like the United Nations sub bodies of the united nations that that involve like particular governance of that
1: you know yeah no that that makes sense that makes sense
0: so i've been looking basically at the at the creation of rule structures for space over time and we're in a really interesting area and this this is this launching is is kind of kind of unique and it fits within a interesting political moment
1: so so let me give a little bit more background to this um so it number one it's significant just because it's an American uh rocket or sorry American p- spacecraft but the other thing that's influential about it is that it's not like Boeing it's not a big company it's, SpaceX. it's it's SpaceX it's a private company um and one of the big things um I'm I am a SpaceX fan so I'm a little bit biased on this but um the SpaceX ro- uh uh Craft is a lot cheaper than the Starliner, which was the the Boeing alternative that they were creating. Um, So there was a basically a competition between these two companies, um, and it was okay who's who's going to get the NASA contract, and SpaceX won on that.
0: Yeah, and so we mentioned really quickly that this is an American, this is launching from American soil. Right. And there there's two ways to approach this. One is from the tech side. And the question is, is it is it just that after the shuttle was retired in tw- in twenty eleven, it's been a period of development and we're now ready to launch again from American soil at long last.
1: Is that or is
0: that, Well, well so the no, the you, other you question is it. is it a political one? Is this right. is this lining up with a particular political moment that is that is kind of inspiring a shift towards American Based launches and, and not just Russian ones.
1: I would argue, I mean, we have the technology. The thing about space is that at any one time, I mean, think about what we did with, uh, with going to the moon, right? We, we pumped that out and it was just the pure mass of workforce and, and, and resources that we gave to that project, that if we have the technology at any one time, it just takes the, the resource allocation. Um, so, like, so when I'm looking at this SpaceX thing, I mean, the Crew Dragon is, is a fantastic vehicle, but there's nothing uh, immediately groundbreaking to the point where it's going to change all of space uh, travel history. It's not a Falcon Nine. It's it, it is. It's just a spacecraft to transport people.
0: Well, so then I, I would argue that maybe not political. Not, not politics as we might think of it, but at least political direction matters here, at least a little bit. Where if you look at the technology over time, of course, we've had the ability to land on the moon, for example, since the 1960s. That technology hasn't gone anywhere, though we've transitioned our rockets away right. from, we haven't produced the
1: technology, but it's not, like, it's not like we forgot how to. I mean, I would argue that we would, we, even if we tried a couple of years ago, we probably couldn't go to the moon. Well, you'd need a
0: sustained development path because right, right. you'd need to develop the the particular rocketry, the particular technology, the you'd reorient. But the idea there is that that could be done, but it depends on the institutional focus of NASA. Right. Where you would need the funding and you'd need the national attention and you need all the, you, you need to direct NASA towards that, which just right. hasn't been the case recently.
1: Yeah, I mean, NASA has taken a role and I would argue a better role of focusing more on like uh, high atmosphere satellite development and uh, like rover technology. Um, so I, I know President Trump, if, if we're going to go into politics, has argued that maybe NASA has to stop worrying so much about like doing research on the climate and doing research on upper atmosphere stuff, and focus more about you know going back up to the moon. And I think the uh trump administration said that they're going to try to get to the moon i think 2024 which is a crazy timeline
0: yeah and and, and an interesting thing here is that one of the reasons and, and i i would argue that it's not just an american shift like it's not like we're just deciding oh it's it's trump or or it's someone that's just You're deciding it's not like up. a
1: nationalist I, I don't
0: i think it is nationalist And I'll explain why, but I don't think it's particularly Trump or particularly the United States because there's been – people have tried to get the U.S. reoriented back towards traveling to Mars uh, or to to the moon at least. Uh, George H.W. Bush, I believe, most – or was it W. Bush? It was a George Bush. Right. famously had this huge speech that was supposed to re try and recapture JFK's speech and try and reorient America back towards a mission towards Mars, and it didn't work part of the problem is that you lack a pressing need to allocate right. I mean, huge we don't, amounts we don't of have money. a
1: cold war going right
0: we don't have a cold war going and you also have trouble because it typically missions like that are larger than the length of a normal administration so it, yeah. if i start if i start it in my let's say halfway through my first term chances are it's not going to finish by the time my my whole two terms end and thus my 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 the person that follows me is going to be getting the credit. Um, right. So if you lack a, a pressing national need and you lack, and that's with so that kind sad. of time frame, like there's no reason why you would you would reallocate funds to investing. But I think right. that's changing. Um, and so that's my point is that I think the world political environment is shifting to the point that it looks like we're going to be going back. And I actually do believe that we're going to be going back.
1: When you say going back, do you mean man's travel? Because it feels man, like-
0: Long-term man travel to the moon, wow. I think.
1: Why me, wouldn't why wouldn't it just be for, like, better satellite technology?
0: Well, because I th- I think the key here, I keep saying the key here, is if you look at the technological development, so actually, this is actually kind of a good segue. Can I go back to the Cold War? Sure. I, I kind of want to like... Pl- quote, Ethan, can we go back to the Cold War? <laughs> can I go back to the Cold War? <laughs> no, I think it might be interesting to kind of... I think it might be interesting to give it like a short rundown of like how we got to here.
1: Mm-hmm. And
0: then we can, then I'll, then, then it'll make a bit more sense kind of what I'm saying. Cause I don't know if, I don't know if I'm, I'm presenting it in, in the best sense. So let's start back. We go, we'll go back to the 1950s is the beginning of the beginning of the space race. Mm-hmm. Now space is a uniquely difficult area uh, for national competition. Like if you wanted to have a national competition, you actually wouldn't want to
1: have it in space. Just because of the high high cost of entry.
0: Well, yeah. You have first of all, you have a prohibitively high cost of entry, and the the really high cost of entry means that the major players have to be the big boy power states. Right. Like Ghana is not going to get involved. Uh, No offense intended to Ghana, but like Kenya has its space. Well, yes, Kenya and right now African states are are getting pretty infested. But things are at the very beginning. (laughs) At the very beginning, you have to have like enough money that you don't allocate it to you know just basic day-to-day survival of your citizens you have to have like a big surplus so that's so that's one thing second is that space covers a lot of different discrete issue areas so issue areas um, of resource protection land ownership uh cyber technology uh military slash missile defense like all these space there's science there's a lot of different things that are covered in space so it's a pretty high value area because there's just a lot of things involved in it so thus far you have only powerful states and important because it's high value then you have the fact that it is very difficult to act with force in space so i send a i send a craft out into space right. i send a satellite it's really really hard to fight the enemy in space at least we are saying a like anti-satellite satellite. Yeah, we're just getting there kind of now. If you go back to like the 1950s, the idea that they could shoot well, satellites Wars, out of the sky. Right? Well, yeah. There's there was, there was, there was whole, <laughs> whole ideas and plans around this. But if we're like being perfectly honest, looking at the tech, they could barely keep them in the air. Like <laughs> there, right. was, there, was, there was like a lot of luck involved with getting the astronauts up sure. and down. So if you can't fight someone in space and you, you have this area of high value you have to fight somewhere else if you want to fight over it. And so in other nations, you could block off a strait. You could um, fight in some proxy country, um, Mm -hmm. but you can't do that here. If you want to fight against a space program, you have to fight in space, which is super hard, or you have to target the nation where you could either sabotage their space program or you could put pressure on them elsewhere. Is that
1: why Reagan had the idea of, or I don't know if he had the idea, but it was like the economy, the economy. well
0: yeah if you if you attack the 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 soviet economy everything else falls with it right um so yeah that's sort of the idea there and then the final combustible part of this chemistry like this is this is a very very toxic mix thus far sure is the fact that space travel technology can be directly dual crossover used with nuclear technology right all right so you have technology that can be used directly for nuclear applications that can only be funded by the most powerful states <laughs> that covers a huge range of issue areas and where conflict cannot occur in space but has to be directly between nations. Like, that is a very dangerous combination to have. Right. That's, a, that's, that's kind of explosive, even. So, space race begins. You got, you got the U.S. and you got Russia. And, and mm-hmm. then, and at first this race was really about technical expertise and national pride. And that's fine. That's what they want. That was a, that's a safe area to fight.
1: You're saying national national pride is a, okay.
0: It's safe. Like it's, it's, it's not as combustive as if we were fighting over our, our own survival or something like that. It's not nuclear. It's not nuclear. Exactly. It's not nuclear. Uh, and, and of course there was a shift towards um, like civilian, space exploration you had the creation of nasa but the whole time Mm -hmm. there was heavy interlinkages with the military Mm -hmm. um just running running through the whole thing so when the u.s and russia go into the space race and this was the first this was the first major phase of the regime of the international regime is is during the cold war you Mm -hmm. have a a, the creation of a series of treaties between the u.s and russia that are basically like hey hey russia how's it hanging?" listen, I love having this competition with you in space, but I'm, it's, it's a lot of fun, you know? We're flying around, it's cool. But there's a problem because, you know, there's a chance this could escalate into something larger. Because, like, we're basically competing to build the best nuclear weapons, but we're right. not saying that. Right. So you have a series of treaties that are, that are based around the mutual removal of certain things from the table. So the U S and Russia would simultaneously agree to say, Hey, we're both not going to do this. So one of the things, for example, the outer space treaty bans the placing of nuclear weapons in orbit. That wasn't because like both, like no nation could pressure the U S and Russia in the cold war to do anything. It was, Mm -hmm. they were the ones that were setting them and they chose to set that rule. And they chose it because it meant that whoever got to orbit would not then gain some super serious nuclear strategic advantage that could then cause it to escalate dramatically. Right. so So game
1: theory wise
0: it's all up in the air
1: it's all up in the air got it
0: literally it's up in the air (laughs) um you banned nations the outer space treaty also banned nations from claiming territory on the moon for example and that took place before they had landed on the moon so the the key thing there is they didn't know who was going to win the race to the moon right so they both in advance say hey Whoever gets to the moon you can't then like build a military base there right so that way the race could be truly one of technical expertise and national pride and not like a strategic military conflict so how did this change so it changed with the end of the cold war so you have the overall power structure that is kind of causing this to 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 this escalation but mm-hmm. with the end of the cold war came the end of the need to mitigate an increasing escalating bilateral conflict once you no longer have a, a bilateral conflict that can escalate, it became kind of less important. And thus you begin to see powers that had issue area power in space, so had the ability to act in space, but otherwise weren't able to set the rules because they were not powerful states in the world as a whole. So right. this is the UK, this is Canada, this is Japan. They're powerful states, but in, in the Cold War, they were not the power, powerful states, the ones that yeah. were setting all the rules. So the end of the Cold War, you have all these other nations that suddenly start coming in. And um, at this point, you see a shift. The U.S. no longer cares as much about the race because there's no real need to race. So what matters here is a shift towards where every nation is beginning to try and create a rules framework in space to allow for economic, cooper- economic competition. You know, so like an, a neutral arbitration. You have the creation of the International Telecommunications Union. You have the creation of liability conventions for satellite usages. You have the spread of satellites for TV and for right. for the internet eventually. And this whole time you have this regime, which is just based around, again, creating neutral arbitra- arbit- arbitration, like any other economic sector. Sure. So it's just the so same, it's same. Like everything. what you're
1: saying it's regulations.
0: Yeah, regulations.
1: They put regulations so down, yeah.
0: There was a level of rulemaking cooperation on Earth to allow for economic competition in space. Um, and so it becoming a normal place at the same time with the U S and Russia no longer caring as much about the competition. A lot of the ability to make decisions was like kind of devolved down to the space. Agencies. It was okay. Like space agencies are, are what we call epistemic communities are, are these like communities of, I know I just used a big word there. I saw your yeah. right yeah, <laughs> epistemic <I see>. communities. <laughs> these are like little communities of experts that, that, share a knowledge base and generate norms for a particular field. So like NASA is an epistemic community, the intergovernmental panel on climate change is an epistemic community. It's a community of experts that is able to kind of set the agenda. Um, So these little distinct epistemic communities, which were the space agencies began to have a lot of power. They began to have the ability to set the agenda. They began a lot of the, a lot of the missions began to be bilateral agreements like the international space station you have
1: right, yeah, a
0: bunch of space agencies that are now working together, and it's basically the space agencies doing it. It's not like it's the president's combining to do that.
1: And now, and like maybe now, you would say stuff like rideshare programs.
0: Yeah, you have like,
1: like coordination. For example, the Falcon Nine took up a Israeli craft. Yeah, and 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 it, that that's actually a really good example because
0: if you look at if you want to see proof for how it became less important on the national level and more important on the, like the subnational units that connected, take a look at the, the history of us and Russia space missions together in space, Mm -hmm. space missions together in space. You have the us and Russia relationship going through all of these crazy fluctuations, but the entire time NASA and uh, Roscosmos, they've been fine. They're, they've been working together. They've been fine. They've been doing these joint missions. The ISS has gone without Mm -hmm. a, without a hitch. And that's because the, the ability to make decisions kind of fell down to the space agencies once the nations no longer cared about it. And that's how it was for a long time.
1: And so so now I'm going to say again, what's changing?
0: Yeah. Um, oh, and another side note of this is also the, the norms of peaceful cooperation, the global commons in space, environmental protection, right. all of these things are things that were in the background because, I mean, space is such a, like a, there's so much majesty in the endeavor. It kind of inspires these these views. But they never really had power in the Cold War, even though they talked about it. I mean, like, while we were landing on the moon, we were involved in several different armed conflicts around the world. So it wasn't... Right. But once we transitioned to space agencies having the power, then those norms began to actually be fulfilled. Like, you began to focus on environmental concerns. You began to focus just on long-term space exploration. With it became no demilitarized,
1: value. is what yeah. you say? Okay.
0: There was still like heavy coordination, like right. spy satellites in particular, but right. like the long, long distance space exploration, that was legitimately for just exploration. There was very little dual use technology crossover there. Like w- when are we going to strike a target outside of the solar system?
1: Right. <laughs>
0: like, the, like obviously rocket technology improved and that helped the military, but it wasn't as dramatic from that point on. It wasn't like there was some major new innovation. Right. And then things changed. And I would argue this is kind of what's changing is, 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 is kind of not fully clear. I would argue that it is, if you look at most of the history of space travel, the basic u- utility of satellites has been, or of space has been satellites. You can put satellites in orbit.
1: Like telecom, yeah.
0: Yeah. And then in the current era, that begins to shift because one, satellites become incredibly more important with the rise of the internet. Mm-hmm. Um, like the, the, the amount of things like telecommunications was important, of course, for a long time. Cause calling, but the internet is like so involved in absolutely everything that the value of satellites and thus of space real estate has like gone way up. Oh yeah. And at the same time, you are also kind of looking ahead and we're seeing that current technologies are to the point that we could begin to access new resources in space or use space in new ways. So you have Virgin Galactic that wants to do space tourism. Right. That could be a major industry. And you're looking at companies like Blue Origin that want to mine asteroids and gain resources right. in space. Right. You have the potential to gain physical, tangible resources in space. And so that's kind of re... And I would argue that's what's re-energizing a lot of national
1: interest. Combined, Just the potential of, like a, of private profit?
0: The potential of profit, but also of national gain. Because... Okay. At the same time, we have an increased competition between the US and China. Th- right. th- these are the major space actors, but they're also in, in a major competition on earth for in every other sector. Oh yeah example. oh yeah. so I, I, would, I would say it's like this. imagine if the Cold War so you have the, you have the regulations from the Cold War which no longer fit this type of Cold War, assuming we're going into some kind of new Cold war because that was based around allowing for there to be this technical competition. With no resources involved, but now mm-hmm. both nations want resources um, so you have all these regulations that were meant for a different war, but they're still hanging around and then
1: I would argue they're kind of i it seems like nations are kind of pretending that they're not there
0: yeah oh, i mean that's the problem with space it's hard to enforce it like right it's like, like what, are gonna tell, what
1: are you going what are you going to tell you know the u s to to not make a base on the moon yeah no, exactly who's, who's gonna go up to them and say yeah who, who's
0: gonna go up to the moon who's gonna knock on the door and serve the warrant um excuse me that's actually illegal that's i, I hate to tell you man but oh, <laughs> oh this is a big one uh listen i know you've done put a lot of work here uh, i love money. the place it looks good the domes are really are, are really sweet who's your sheets?
1: interior decorator
0: <laughs> like Hi. yeah before we get <laughs> into this i need your interior decorator because this is an important question here but you know what you're doing here is against international conventions, and you gotta, <laughs> gotta shut it down, <laughs> pack it up. I mean, there there is ways to enforce compliance with international treaties, but it just doesn't work very well when the, your two powers are the space U.S. space is a as a
1: unique, like you said, yes. space is unique because it, I mean, just to enforce it, you need all of the power to get up there. <laughs> yeah. yeah, it's 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 hard to do. Right. Um.
0: But th- so you have this change, and so you see, you see the U S and China becoming more interested in this, but you have, you have this first phase cold war space race treaties that are still in effect, but are kind of going against the current interests. Right. And then you have the second phase where you have this power delegated to um, space agencies and you have these like neutral arbitration economic agreements, which are also going against the interests of, of modern States. Like the U S is not like that interested in having, at least currently like a full free trade in in moon resources in which every nation on earth gets access to the global commons Mm -hmm. like it's just not it's not really the goal there so you have and you have all this building up and then you're going back into another kind of space race dynamic and so So, what that forces you to do is it forces you to act unilaterally uh it forces you to act not through large institutional bodies but within your own nation So you see, and this is a long way of leading up to an explanation, you should see nations start to make rules and regulations for space on their own. So rule, unilateral agreements. So you have Trump's new Space Force Directive. You have a couple executive orders and then a 2015 law that is about, I forgot the name of it, that gives private companies the right to gain profit from resources in space. You have unilateral action. And then you're going to try and launch rockets from your own soil. Uh Um, So you have all this leading up together. And that was a long way. No, that's it. No,
1: it's interesting because as you said, the, it's definitely has been happening. I mean, you see countries like India Hmm. who has a, they have a a great space agency now.
0: Yeah. They've they've really, they've really grown it.
1: Yeah. And it's like, um. Okay. So my question is, is instead of just deciding or just working unilaterally, why wouldn't they just modify the pre-existing international treaties?
0: Well, the, the, I think the problem with the, is that it's an interesting question. So most agreements are through the United Nations. Mm-hmm. In fact, all the major ones are through the United Nations. And the problem is, is when you have these two poles that are building, so you have the U S and you have China,
1: right? Both people actors growing. in the UN.
0: Yeah. Well, I mean, this, if this was a security council issue, they could veto, but this would, this would probably just be general assembly legislative agreement. In that case, it's, it's really, you have these basically two bodies of power that are going on it. And an important thing to remember here is that the other nations don't want this. So these, these, this agreement works for the U.S. and for China, but like developing nations, they don't want the US to be able to annex the moon. Like that's, not, like that's <laughs> right. not in their interest. For most of their history, their argument has been this it's been historical trajectory and abuse, oppression, coloni- you know, colonization have robbed us of the mm-hmm. ability to access the resources in space. It's a it's a first come, first serve environment. The developed nations got there first, but they got there first because by they, taking
1: advantage of by
0: taking advantage us. of us. Now we're getting to the point where we want to be able to use space because it's a global commons. It belongs to everyone, Mm -hmm. but we're not getting the opportunity to. And thus, there's been debate about assigning geosynchronous orbit. So that's the, well, you know what you know, but for the people at home that don't, it's the orbital space that moves exactly in turn to the earth, Mm -hmm. uh, which is very important for TV. Very populated. Yes, very populated. There's been an argument that developing nations should get their own subsections of orbit for their own. That's native. interesting. Yeah, I know it's really cool. Um, so that you don't have to be dependent on foreign telecommunications companies to do your own right. media, which they say is a form of neocolonialism. And I can some, see that. That's, what's it's, interesting like some nations, it's like bandwidth. I think it was. Yes. Yes. It's like bandwidth. I think it was Togo. I don't actually I should have this off the top of my head, but. There was a nation that said, hey, we're actually just not going to – this is nice. This is nice that you're saying that we can have this orbital space, but we're just not going to be able to use it for a long time because we just don't have a space agency. Mm -hmm. So we should should reserve the right to rent or sell our orbital space in order to get the full economic value indirectly. So that's been a big interesting – That's
1: interesting. Yeah. It's kind of cool. Well, I mean it's only – like real estate, it's only going to get more –
0: that's, yeah, that's Solid what I argue is that it's become more and more important. And so we should just have it legally and be able to rent it to other countries right. or
1: to sell it outright. Well, so it's, it's interesting, interesting connection to like bandwidth because there's only so many frequencies in the world. You no, know, you only have so many. And so currently you have to. It's all up it. in the air. It is all up in the air. You know, game theory is, is tough, man. But I mean, there's, like I said, there's only so much. So you have to partition it between nations and nations have to partition it between companies and in their own military and personal uses. And it's it's sadly becoming crowded. So some big decisions are going to be, have to be made about how we're going to divvy up this extremely important resource. Yeah, and, and
0: do, is there, wh- what are they doing with developing countries? Do you, do you know off the top of your head? I do not know. I do not know. It might be an interesting topic for another episode. But like you have these developing countries that are asking for this and they're basically like, hey, you're saying that space is a global commons. And this was working for the second in that second phase when you have these right. space agencies that are running the show. But in like the current age, the U.S. is like, no, that's not going to happen.
1: Right. <laughs> China's like, no,
0: that's not going to happen. So they're kind of asking for it at the exact wrong time, unfortunately. Right. Well, I, I mean, the opportunity wasn't there.
1: You know? yeah, they were, just weren't there to be able to access it in the period in which that the window right. was open to or them. even to even to think it was a possibility of something that would be in the future useful. Yeah. I mean I but know that's we're what, talking that's why you... we're talking now, but I mean telecoms and, and major giant ton satellites are, are kind of a new thing. Yeah. That that's what's causing
0: like a, a shift, I would say, is that mm-hmm. nations are starting to realize that hey, this is important strategically and economically. And so they're like, oh yeah, sure. Global commons worked back when it was just satellites that no one cared about. Right but now that it's actually important.
1: You know? Interesting. Okay. So the question is, it seems like legally it should, they should own it. Like, uh, like developing just, nations? Or, I mean, I don't know. And in, in the perfect like, world in my mind, I feel like you own everything. I mean, if you own yeah. your mill your, your mineral rights, I feel you own your airspace. You should own your space space. your space space
0: yeah there was a i I read an article recently um i will include it in the notes uh for those that are curious because i feel bad for not referencing it that uh approached orbits from a rawlsian perspective so they're arguing so rawls is a political theorist and he had this idea that socially equitable structures in society like the way we would design society should happen from behind something called the veil of ignorance turn to remember, veil of ignorance the general idea is you should design a society when you mm-hmm. don't know where in that society you will end up so you're, you''re you're building a society but you're blind you don't know if you're going to be rich or poor you don't know right. if you're going to have a disability or be perfectly healthy and the equitable society is one designed with that frame in mind and he had a he had a way that he said that was the proper way to design a society with that in mind and they're saying with orbits you should essentially say what is the ideal situation that we should design this if we don't know if we are going to randomly spawn into the game as a developing country or as a developed country right and that was an argument for it's basically, kind of a
1: utilitarian kind of
0: yes i well there's crosses against utilitarianism but the idea is yeah you want to maximize utility
1: okay if that makes no, sense i mean coming from someone who who has been taking an artificial intelligence class, maximizing utility. It's all so, we do. <laughs> it's all we do. That's what all everyone, everyone should do. Yeah. Yeah. Who, I mean, who wants to all...
0: minimize utility?
1: Right. Right. My, uh, here's a funny, uh, a funny uh, tidbit. I was in the zoom call. So, you know, all of our classes for people who don't know all of my classes have been on zoom or on zoom, right. All my lectures. And I was listening to my professor. And he was talking to his his GSI right before class started. And he he said these amazing quotes. He was like, you know, if only we had, I guess I to preface the way artificial intelligence, like with robotics, usually works, is there's there's two actors or there's two ideas, concepts. It's first utility, and then like a utility function. So a utility function is some kind of random, you know, functioning functional thing that gives you your state in the world and gives it a numerical value of how much you like that mm. like how much utility that has and so all of like robotics and and like artificial intelligence is first defining how much utility this position is like say this is my arm i'm like oh i really like that my arm is for the people not watching this at home my arm is is out we go this is a really good position i like this and then you bend it down a little bit you go okay this is much worse so it's some kind of function that that gives a location or gives a like state a
0: preference ordering
1: for a utility is is it like preference ordering the utility in this it's case it's more like yes i mean like there's this argument of like logical preference whereas like that you prefer you prefer this state better than the state. So what you would do in robotics is you go, okay, my arm is here. I can move this many different ways, 600 different ways. I'm gonna pick the action that gives me to the best, to the state, the next state that has the best maximized utility. And then you just keep going. So you go, "My my arm is here. Okay, the best thing I can do is this, so let me do that. Okay, the best thing I can do that, you know, and you move, hopefully it works. Preference for for artificial intelligence but anyways he said if we could have and i quote if we could have a utility function for politics everything would be solved yeah well and i was like i guess i think the problem is it's really hard to define utility in politics that and the utility function yeah you know it's like it's, it's almost you know it's impossible but it, Hearing that, I was like, "That's a very strange uh, worldview." Kind of a, I could see some utilitarian worries. I, I really
0: like utilitarianism, and I like utilitarians, but they also tend to really try and and uh, approach politics and approach life in a very formulaic way. Formulaic in the sense of like equations and stuff that I'm I don't feeling, always think matches. Yeah. I, I don't know. At the same time, it's, it's always from a perspective of maximizing human well-being. So I don't, unfeeling is probably the wrong term. It's just, I, I think that sometimes they try and simp. I say they, even though I probably identify as a utilitarian, um, they try and simplify things that can't be simplified in the way that they're trying to simplify to a simple binary or a simple like, like series it, of formulas.
1: Is this good or is this bad? Yeah. Yeah. Well, so like in space, is the benefit for all of us force or uh, more expanse into space, like uh, interplanetary commerce and travel and oh, I civilization? have so much to say
0: about interplanetary commerce and civilization as well. Do you really? I do. That being said. We should probably end the episode here. We probably should. And we'll, we'll, we'll save a uh, conversation for uh, extra planetary settlement and all that kind of stuff, which is also really interesting and also the thing with space is that people in political science don't tend to write about it very often. And I'm very upset is it. Isn't about that
1: a that. shame? It is a shame. Because there's so Isn't much interesting
0: shame? stuff there. Um, but we're going to fill that gap. Right. Of course. This
1: is only episode one. This is only episode one. Of, of many to come. And actually, I mean, we'll think about names. And the next time we'll have a name. We'll, we'll have a name next time, hopefully. I mean, I have a name. I'm known. Right. Yeah. But I together... Mean, our social construct of, of, of us together is you yet could, to be made. our regime of our regime of this podcast. Exactly. Okay. Well, yeah. I mean, I don't know if we have, do we have an ending thing or. Well, we could say like, until next time, keep until looking up. Until next time. Yeah. <laughs> keep climbing. Study your game theory.
0: Study game theory. Eyes to the sky. <laughs> Peel them and up. <laughs> All right. Let's, okay. wait. Let's, let's do a generic ending really quick. Yeah. 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 All right. I'll start. Thanks for listening and tune in next time. Yeah. Thank you. Bye.
1: Uh, oh, let's, let's retry that.
0: Wait. also, let's say um, I want I want I just thought of this right now and we'll, mm. we'll put this in. If you have any questions related to tech or to politics, please check the show notes. There is an email at which you can send us questions and we might do either respond by email or we can do a Q and a episode at some future point.
1: And, so and- contact us there. Please let us know if there's anything that we're doing wrong. We're new to this podcast game. Leave I'm a five-star sure we've review. I'm sure we made quite a lot of uh, mistakes already in one if, episode. If you leave a five-star review, we will read out your review <laughs> and celebrate it. If you give us a five-star review, we'll we'll say your name on camera.
0: Exactly. That's easy. Put put what you what you want us to say at the bottom of your review.
1: We won't look at it before. It. Well,
0: yeah, we're not even going to censor it. Yeah, we'll, we'll we'll just do it like that.
1: And and like that, I'm Alex.
0: And I'm Ethan. And this has been... (laughs) A podcast. A podcast.